Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I was looking on the Medium platform uh, over the last week. I don't know how many of you are aware of the Medium platform. It's a place primarily for writers and for reading, I suppose. But there's lots of good stuff on there. So if, you, if you're not aware of Medium, uh, do check it out. Anyway, um, I came across a particular diagram and the diagram led me on to find a little bit more about what that diagram uh, was showing me. Anyway, let's, let's move on to this, shall we? So bring some clarity to what I'm saying. Ikigai or Ikigai. Uh, Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, as I said, pronounced Ikigai, is a word you hear a lot in Japan. People will readily tell you that my children are my Ikigai, or my work is my Ikigai, or volunteering for my neighbourhood is Ikigai. The word doesn't really translate into English, but roughly it means the reason to be living. No matter what the exact definition is, however, many Japanese people believe that a culture of cultivating Ikigai is one of the reasons for the population's longevity. Ikigai is a Japanese concept that means a reason for being. The word refers to having a direction or purpose in life that uh, which makes one's life worthwhile and towards which an individual takes spontaneous and willing actions, giving them satisfaction and a sense of meaning to life. With an average Japanese person outliving an average uh, American, for example, by over half a decade, the impacts of finding meaning in life or ikigai on health and longevity are pronounced. In fact, they're so pronounced that the Japanese Ministry of Health has, has included Ikigai into their health promotion strategy. So what was the diagram that I saw that took me into um, looking into Ikigai? Well, it was this. It was one of those uh, diagrams made up, we're all used to seeing them, of four circles with interconnecting elements. In the centre of these four connected circles was Ikigai, but surrounding it were a statement such as what you love, mission, what the world needs, vocation, what you can be paid for, profession, what you're good at, and the word that really struck home to me, passion. Now, to me, the centre of those four circles could just as easily have said photography, um, other than Ikigai, although Ikigai seems to me to be something certainly that we should all be thinking about in bringing those elements together. I always say regular listeners to the podcast, I'm going to say it again, regular listeners to the podcast will know that these are themes that regularly come up in uh, different episodes in different ways. So when we're talking about photography, I think we should be talking about Ikigai. We should be talking about those intersections between passion and what the world needs and vocation, profession, and what you can be paid for. Isn't it interesting that that becomes part of this Ikigai? Anyway, if that's something that you find interesting, then do, uh, do Google it and try and find out a little bit more and maybe uh, see if you can create your own version of that. What I've done is I've put the diagram that first caught my attention underneath uh, 
this podcast posting on the United Nations of Photography website so you can check out there exactly what caught my attention and see whether or not you see it's relevant to your uh, engagement with photography. I've been thinking a little bit, quite a bit over the last uh, week about photography and the word why and the word how. I'm writing an article about it, which will appear on the website, but it's primarily thinking about, we can't, or it suggests, and I've been thinking about, you can't know how until you know why. So the why becomes more important than the how. I think that's also something that a lot of photography uh, education forgets. It jumps to the how before thinking about the why and then sort of addresses the why after the how. Sort of you have the tools, you now know how to do it, now work out why you're doing it. I'd suggest that we should be going the other way around. It also leads directly, I suppose, to me on teaching photography. And a lot of you listening to this podcast I know are involved in photographic education in some way and will have been spending the last few weeks or months and certainly planning for the coming uh, months as to how you're going to teach online. It raises a number of questions about that engagement with photography. And I know a lot of people feel very um, unsettled by the notion of this blended learning and blended teaching. I think it raises some interesting uh, questions also around workshops. It seems to me a number of workshops have gone purely onto online and have forgotten completely about the face-to-face aspect of communication. Successful teaching, and I think successful learning, comes from and can come from a, a combination of those two things. Hence the term blended. So if you are thinking about that at the moment, really think about how can you bring those two elements together. I know you'll have been doing that, and I don't want to appear condescending in any way, because I know it's a challenge for all of us. But I think one of the most important Uh, or important elements of of that decision-making process is to focus on that why and perhaps allow the how to come a little bit later in the process. This week, I'm pleased to welcome uh, photographer Jan Tove to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him. Uh, Jan was born in 1958 and is a photographer and author based in Hokerum, West Sweden, I hope I said that correctly, who started taking photographs in his early teens and after completing uh, his compulsory schooling was apprenticed to a portrait photographer. In 1982, he enrolled at the Stockholm Academy of Dramatic Arts to train as a film cameraman, but he dropped out in favour of a teaching training qualification, which he graduated from in 1986. Uh, Jan has worked as a full-time photographer and author since 1994. In 1995, he was named Nordic Photographer of the Year by the Swedish photography magazine Photo. And in 2003, he was named Nature Photographer of the Year by the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency. He has published numerous books, including Reflections in 1996, Riverside in 2007, Silent Landscape in 2012, Far Away Nearby in 2017 and Nightlight in 2020. 
Uh, Yan has received uh, numerous awards and it's been exhibited in galleries and museums in Sweden and internationally, most recently in the Contemporary Landscapes uh, exhibition at the Oceanside Museum of Modern Art in San Diego. Let me start with an early memory. I am probably six, seven years old and I'm laying on the floor in the living room browsing my parents' photo album with black and white photos from the years before I was born. And I can still remember the feeling of being moved to another time and to other places. How then became a living and fascinating now. I remember I studied the details of the pictures and noted irrelevant things that were in the background or beside. A shadow, a light reflex, a tree, a cloud, the back of a car, a house for sale. A few years later I got my first camera and from that moment nothing was the same. When I think about it, photography has not only brought me joy but also opened my eyes to life and, and enriched my journey. It has deepened my vision, sharpened my perception and photography make me discover the world over and over again. The love of photography never fades away. Every time I grab the camera, or when I'm standing in the darkroom watching the image develop, I feel a strong euphoria. The pause from the moment you press a button on the camera to the finished image is a path to a narrative, and the desire to tell a story is fundamental to me. Over the years, photography has also allowed me to get in touch with people. While working on the book Riverside, for example, I used a large 8x10 camera that aroused curiosity. People stopped and we started talking. They told about themselves, about their lives, and sometimes I photographed them. And they become a part of the narrative in the book. The fascination that I had in front of my parents' photo album is brought to life every time I sit down with another photographer's work. The photo book is a door into another person's world. To browse the pages is to be invited to what someone else has seen, interpreted and embodied. I am probably most alive when I photograph. And that doesn't mean I'm always happy. But in a way I come closer to my own feelings. It's a contemplative state. In order to see and interpret the outer world, the inner must exist as a bottom of resonance. This regardless of what I photograph. There is light coming from the outside world through the open shutter to the film, but there must also be light in the other direction, from your inside and out. The world is our mirror. And when I photograph a landscape, it is somehow a self-portrait. Thank you, Jan, for your contribution this week. Um, picking up, as always, on so many different themes, uh, themes of childhood. And um, one of the things there, actually, which he spoke about which really i suppose made me think well that's kind of interesting was the the use of mirror and uh, i've written an article on the united nations of photography website about 
the photographic um, relationship with mirrors. So that's something you might want to uh, follow up on and read about. But Jan, they're really talking about the why, really focusing on the why and that why being so deeply embedded in who he is as a person and has been since a child and so often that return to childhood features uh, in these kind of responses to uh, answering the question. Also, I think in a way he was uh, without directly referencing or perhaps even knowing going back to ikigai there that i was talking about at the very beginning of the podcast it seems to me that um, ikigai is absolutely the the sort of central point of of what yan is working there within his photographic practice if you enjoy these uh, these weekly ruminations by photographers answering a very simple question, then I have some good news for you because uh, we've done a lot of them now, well over a hundred, and uh, I'll be curating a, a number of them into a book which will be published uh, in the spring of 2021. Just uh, got that all sorted in the last week also. It's been a busy week as it always is. So I'm pleased to let you know that that will be available at a very, very reasonable price. I think we're going to put the book out for £10 only and uh, it will it will contain as I say a, a curated uh, collection of uh, the different people who have very kindly contributed to the podcast so look out for news concerning that um, as I said there's been quite a few articles going up on the United Nations of uh, photography website over the last couple of weeks i just mentioned that article there about mirrors there's another article about the importance of standing out from the crowd uh, one on what makes a 21st century photographer and another one on teaching photography for employment and uh, that's all at www.unitednationsofphotography.com um, dot com. So do please check out the website. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at UN of Photo. And you can also follow us on Instagram at UN of Photo. Also, if you really enjoy this podcast in particular, there's a new uh, Instagram page called um, What Does Photography Mean to You? And that's where I post every week images uh, by the photographers who contribute to that strand of the podcast each week. So there's lots of uh, platforms and kind of uh, touch points where you can connect with us, uh, depending upon which one you prefer, I suppose. In these turbulent times, I don't think uh, the photograph or the moving image can be uh, any more important than it is. I'm a great student of American politics and news, and some of the images coming out of America over the last few weeks have been shocking um, in many ways. Uh, shocking in their violent content, shocking in their political context, shocking from a social economic perspective. And seeing a photograph of Donald Trump uh, in the Oval Office with a collection of uh, foodstuffs, shocking in the uh, desire for the creation of the photo opportunity. I think at this point, 
you know, as photographers, we should really kind of believe in that and not feel as if we're getting left behind. I know that the lockdown has gone on for some period of time now for many of us, depending upon where you're listening to this podcast. And it can be both tiring and draining and really destroy any kind of sense of, uh, I suppose, that energy that you need as a photographer to constantly re-self-initiate projects and ideas. My suggestion is to speak to fellow photographers, to speak to other people and kind of share those feelings and also share those ideas. I'm hearing of a lot of really exciting projects coming together from people who are talking to each other now that perhaps wouldn't have done if the situation was pre-COVID. Anyway, whatever you're working on at the moment, do still try to keep believing in the power of photography that photographic image as evidence. I think, as I say, it's really going to be relevant. And as we look back on the images that we create now and that we're seeing now, they're going to provide that historical kind of reference and context for a time that none of us could ever have believed only six months ago could have um, happened on the things that are happening and that are going to happen um, would have happened. And as photographers and as visual storytellers, creating visual narratives, understanding visual language, I think it's kind of our responsibility to do our best to uh, document these times in whatever way we feel we should. Now, that doesn't mean to say we have to get it right. It doesn't mean to say we have to do it all of the time. And it certainly doesn't mean to say that we have to put a lot of pressure on ourselves to succeed. I really hope that one of the things that comes out of this time is a lessening of that pressure to win competitions, to succeed, to pay to play, and that a little bit more humanity can come out of uh, this whole time. Well, anyway, that's my hope. I may be naive, but I'm trying to be positive. I'm not really kind of a glass half empty kind of a guy. Um, I'm not really even a glass half full. I'm a more kind of a, let's keep filling up the glass. But anyway, whatever you're working on, I hope that you're staying strong. I hope that you're keeping the faith. And of course, I hope that you're taking care.